Hello, it's Fangraphs Audio, Carson Sestouli. What follows is a conversation with Fangraphs lead prospect analyst Kyla McDaniel. That's lead prospect analyst Kyla McDaniel making his weekly Friday appearance. What follows a brief discussion about the word fringe, its denotations, its connotations in the context of prospects and prospect analysis. Conversation about caveats, how many of them Kyla McDaniel is compelled to make as he's composing his organizational prospect list and perhaps even more so uh, putting together a top 100 prospect list, all the sort of caveats and qualifications he's compelled to make, lest his work be misinterpreted or used for evil. I don't know why it would be used for evil, but if it were used for evil. And finally, one curious element of the Yon Mankata situation, uh, whichever club will sign him will necessarily have to uncommit, as it were, to those prospects they would have been signing, the Dominican prospects they would have been signing on July 2nd of this year. What are the consequences of that Kyle McDaniel addresses that matter too uh that all of that is uh, coming in the conversation that follows as he has in most every week Kyle McDaniel is here uh, provided a brief musical interlude I believe in this case it is courtesy the band the killers so that what you'll hear is that musical interlude and then a conversation with Kyle McDaniel thank you My half sister, no, that's not what I mean. The <laughs> I'd called her up, and um, she has one of those hilarious. She's uh, much younger. I think she's just uh, sophomore in high school. She has a uh, <clears throat> her answering her voicemail message. Her outgoing message is her uh, saying hello, 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 as if she cannot hear you. Uh, classic Archer. Yeah, is that oh, wait, Archer does that too? Yeah, there's been more than a few instances on the show where there'll be, like, him having, like, a contentious conversation where he seems to be finding conflict and a question that shouldn't have conflict. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, and leave your message after the beep. Gotcha. <laughs> and it, it'll go on for, like, ten minutes, and then he still does it. That's a, that's I guess a, the challenge is to keep the charade up as long as possible. <clears throat> that's a that's a good show. From what I, uh, the, I think I've seen what, a couple, maybe a season or two of it. It's on uh, It's on Netflix. You should get into it. Well, yeah, I think I've yeah, I don't know. Pretty if much I've every ever... baseball writer on Twitter quotes it, so Yeah. Uh um uh, well I have always enjoyed H. John Benjamin. Oh uh, yeah. It's crazy that he is the title character in Archer and in Bob's Burgers and they are like complete opposites. Yeah, they really it, are. like totally fits. Uh-huh. It does fit. And he was well I ran he was he was the son on Doctor Katz. Did you ever oh, watch yeah, Doctor Katz? A little before my time. Oh. I'm aware of it though. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, Dr. Katz was very, uh, that was very strong. Very strong. It was show. Dr. Katz Medicine Woman, right? Yeah, that's right, exactly. Mm hmm. It's, it's a good call. Keep well, alive. it's sort of like the Jeffrey Tambor program. He, it was Dr. Katz Medicine Woman, but it was, he was a man. He identifies as a woman, though. Oh, he does? I guess that shows how little I know about the show. <laughs> <clears throat> no, I'm lying to you right now. See? Again, showing how little I know about the yeah, show. Yeah, you know, no, basically it was just the, the animation. It actually doesn't get cited. You hear, uh, for, well, obviously South Park um, has had 
a big hand in the terribly terribly animated uh, popular um, cartoon shows. Yeah. Um, and a, and I think probably uh, Beavis and Butthead by Mike Judge uh, preceded that. Uh, but but um, this show was terrible. I mean, very terribly animated. Doctor Katz. Mm. It was mostly just him, and you know, it would be there would be patients who would show up, but they would be they would all be played by comedians. So Louis C.K., Ray Romano, um, you know, a lot of the strong comedians of the mid late nineties. I know what you mean. Yeah. All right. Great. Glad we glad we established all that. Can I ask you? Can I ask you a question? I've been having a little bit of anxiety recently. We'll, we'll talk about you on Mankata, but who? Huh? I, I was trying to scare you because of your anxiety. Oh yeah. Well, listen, we're gonna talk about Mankata, but I also feel like I'm so sick of talking about him. Well, I'm glad you are because I don't know that anything. <laughs> Wait, are you really? No, I was on the I was on BP's podcast last night, and I literally talked like it was like 45 minutes long, and it's like 42 minutes of me talking about Mankata. <laughs> okay. Well, then I'm glad. So listen. I think – and I love those guys. Is that still Ben and Sam who do that? Yes. Okay. I posted a tweet today about uh, Ben's terrible uh, joke and then me and Sam making fun of him for like seven seconds. It's really funny. You should okay. listen to it. All right. All right. All right. Uh, well, that's a great – I think it, I think those guys are great. Um, no, we're supposed to hate them. They're the competition. Uh, yeah. But, well, yeah. No. Stop it. No, stop it. Say things you mean. Oh, sorry. You were great on MLB Network. No, you were no, you were great. You were on before me. It's true. I think I you, the, they actually. I was the opening act, I believe. I think they actually. No, well, I think I was preempted by you. I think because originally they were like, "Hey, will you be able to talk about Mankata?" And I wrote back, "No." <laughs> <laughs> Funny you mentioned that. No. Yeah, I was like, "But you might consider uh, our lead prospect analyst, who um, is is apparently buddies with with Mankata's agent," and so they did. Yeah, and Mankata himself. Yeah. Is that right? Oh yeah, we're we're best buds. You're good, you're good buds. I have I have been the media. I've at least now seen. I don't know if I had seen it before. Maybe I had seen it before. I've seen more of it now since he's been cleared by OFAC or MLB or whatever. He does have a crazy body type for a 19 year old. <laughs> we're getting into a sketchy territory. No, Carson. it's not. No, no, it's not sketchy territory because I was a 19 year old young man, and when you I you were was not six one two ten with two percent body fat. No, I wasn't any of those things. That's too bad. Yeah. The ladies, I'm sure, found something they like about you. Um, yeah, 19, 19 was a rough age. I did I did better before and after, but freshman in college or sophomore college is not a strong position, especially I went to school with a lot of people who had money, and I did not. Ah, uh, uh, yes. So there's just no way to win, really, at that point. I hear the move, especially in the 80s, was to put a boombox over your head and <laughs> wait outside someone's window. Yeah, that's true. Except I went to school in the New York City. So it's like a lot of the the girls I knew lived on like the twelfth floor of, uh, a, of a building. Yeah. It's hard. You know, everyone's opening their windows, and you're like, "Not you! Two stories up." You should go perch on a gargoyle up near their window. There, I think there are actual gargoyles on the uh, Columbia University campus. I, we can be sure there are zero p- people listening to us right now. Okay. The hey. hey. Hey, that's metacasting, and we're we're staying away from it, Kylie. Sorry. The um, so yeah, I, so well, maybe we can get to Makata. I want to ask you. I've had I've been, I have been having some anxiety recently because I just in a brief, uh, a brief, uh, correspondence with you earlier this week. So I'm currently writing this thing for Fangraphs Plus, right? And mm-hmm. it is essentially a 
an off-season edition of the Fringe Five, right? Okay. Which traditionally, the last two years I've done it, has been essentially the best of those players who are not appearing on top 100 lists. Which I think that that is fine. I think that that's good to cover because guys who end up, I would, I would argue that guys who end up on top 100 lists receive an inordinate amount of attention relative to the guys who are, you know, n- number 101 and number 102. And also young big leaguers who were just not eligible for the list, but then for some reason never get written about ever again. Well, that's another thing that happens too. Yeah, that's actually, that's a real like soft spot in terms of prospect coverage. I'm sh- one I'm sure you will. Uh, you will address as the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I will beat that soft spot to a pulp. Right, but I think that what so one of the things is, and one of the things that to which you were maybe responding was because I, I said, no, uh, Mark Hewitt for years did a great job with prospect analysis on the site, but he was also a person who had uh, like another job and kids. And you don't have any of those things, Kylie. I got nothing going on. You got nothing. In fact, I got no plans tonight if anybody's around the Atlanta area yeah. with something to do. You have no support net, and so you really have to be on your hustle to, for this for this prospect bullshit. So you can say I'm hustling every day, but yeah. it's it's up to interpretation. <clears throat> right. And well, you gotta take one day a one day a week off uh rest. A Sabbath. It's a, a prospect yeah. Sabbath. Right. Uh so so, uh, but we had a brief, uh, brief back and forth, and I was saying, should I? I was asking, should I? Be, especially because the prospect coverage has been so robust, should I maybe make the constraints for the French Five um, a little bit stronger? Right. Yeah, and I, well, and to, before you get to what I said, I think the question is, what do you want it to function as? Yeah. I, right, and it could be – well, so one thing that's guiding it is the title, which honestly I chose mostly for alliteration's sake. I was going to suggest that. I wanted to hear you say it though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. It was largely for alliteration's sake. And also I do think that – I do think that even if within the industry there's perhaps more – like, I mean like you know, like within, within organizations, there's probably less of a real division between – you know, the team's 30th and 31st prospect, you know, within the organization. Yeah. Um, in general, it's like here's the top 10 or 15 and then here's 20 other guys. Right. Yeah. But they, but usually you don't find – like if you are writing about prospects, you have to have some some point at which you stop writing profiles about every guy because you don't want – you're not going to cover everyone in the organization. That's when me saying I thought I told you that we won't stop finally breaks down when I stop. Right, when you finally stop, yeah. You literally stop. But um, so so I said that and, – and so what are the ways – what are the ways that a thing like that could function, do you think? Well, I, you could uh, – so if you say fringy prospect to someone in the game and it is just in, with no context, you just say, oh, he's a fringy prospect, that is almost meant as a 30 – Future value OFP, like maybe 35, depending on how people scale works, or a three or a four, depending on if it's a two to eight scale or a 2080. But essentially, fringy prospect means almost not a prospect at all. As right. in, if he gets traded, it's as the last guy in a deal that no one cares about, or it's for a guy that got DFA'd. Like, it's like almost no value, but I'll call him fringy, meaning there might be a team out there that saw him good for a week and they'd, they'd take him. Uh, but like if we released him, if he's a fringy prospect, that means some teams wouldn't even want to sign him. 
So that's kind of like the general definition, and that's why I was kind of surprised when you said like, oh, not top 100. I'm like, well, yeah, because fringy for internet purposes uh, is not talked about a lot, and if I'm going to go 25 deep on 30 lists, that's what, 750 players? Right, so that's that's not a lot of... I mean, there is still there are still a lot of people to choose from, but players with like legitimate major league upside. By which, when I say major league upside, I mean that they will appear on a roster at some point. That's uh, it's harder to find that. Yeah. So if you take the top couple guys in the others list, and then all the guys that are on the list, you got you know like eight hundred dudes. So you could say the fringy guys are anyone who's not those eight hundred guys. That would be sort of the strictest definition. Mm-hmm. But you're also using fringy to sort of be an internet meaning and also have it be about players that are possibly worth writing about, <laughs> not just not just terrible twelfth rounders from college that you know had really good numbers in short season, but who knows if we'll even get to double A one day. Like people don't really want to read that, and that's kind of what a fringy prospect is, mm-hmm. or a double A reliever with a big fastball that doesn't know where it's going. That maybe he'll figure it out, but. That's more a development question than like you looking at a stat and saying, oh, he's this or that. So I think the the strictest definition isn't really worth writing about. And the, if that's ever worth writing about, it's when a guy gets really, really good or there's some sort of development story, which isn't necessarily evident uh, unless someone reports it first right. or it's not going to be in the numbers. So for your purposes, I was thinking, okay, so clearly it'll be below the top, uh, we'll say the, the 50s. It's be about 140 guys or 50 or better. So it'd be clearly below that. You could say it's 40 or lower, or you could say it's the 45s or lower. You could kind of define it how you want to, but I would say sort of the back half of a of a team list might be the best use of that because those are the guys. I mean, often you'll see first round picks and million dollar Dominican guys. Like there's legitimate guys with tools that I'm kind of excited about. It's just there's something's not quite there, or they were injured, or they didn't perform yet, or they're only 16, or you know, there's something you're waiting on. And I think that's the guy that's interesting to write about. Because that guy can go to low A and perform for three weeks and be like, I think he might be something like that thing we were worried about might be gone. And now there might be nothing to worry about in the, you know, sort of broad sense of things. I think that's what people want to read about. Right. Yeah. And I think that, and I think that's the idea. The purpose, the purpose that I had in mind was, um, it was sort of in recognition of the fact that because it, at some point there has to be an arbitrary cutoff, right? Or maybe it's not entirely arbitrary, but certain players, certain prospects will receive an inordinate amount of coverage because they've appeared on, um, you know, top 100 lists, or because they've appeared maybe, as you're suggesting, on the top half of a of a uh, of an organizational list. And but especially when the season's underway, a lot can happen in a pretty short amount of time, right? Because you know the the game has been gone for six months. Players have you know they've been training. They've maybe played some winter ball. And they could so be in the best shape of their lives. They, they they could frequently be in the best shape of their lives. And so so. I know that in past seasons, the past couple seasons, the column was useful for identifying, for example, uh, Mookie Betts when he was breaking out, right? Not not familiar with him. Okay. Uh, or Danny Salazar when Danny Salazar showed up after TJ and um, was – by which I mean after a, a, a long weekend trip to Tijuana. All of a sudden, he was very good. And, and had a great – he had a tequila guy too. They could re- really get a good deal for him. Right, and we're talking about 100% agave in this particular situation. None of that. Oh, I wouldn't mess with anything less than that. Watered, watered down BS, right? Um, right, so that's – I think that's what I want to do. Um, although yeah, and the, the, I, I think that makes sense especially because you, I'd like to think with the context I can provide with these lists, 
uh, it won't be sort of a guessing game like, well, this guy got paid and he's 21 and there's a report from 18 months ago that says he's pretty good, but then he didn't even get to go to a full season league last year, but now he did and now he's hitting, but it's only been 100 at bats, so what does this mean? I'd like to think if I give you sort of the tools and the background and all that and he performs for a month or two, it's like, okay, Kylie was concerned that there wasn't enough performance, now there's performance, this might be something. Right. Like, I feel like that's the... That makes uh, reduces the margin for error and sort of the the sort of you know meandering to I don't know what this means but it's something. Right. Uh, I will say though for this piece in Fangraphs Plus, I actually I, I attempted a list that would include guys who were not um, part of your organizational reports or at least if they did appear they were in the others of notes section, so they're not the numbered guys. And yes, you, can, you can actually do it. I mean, like for example. Um, Ryan Cordell is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the he's in the Rangers organization. Six um, four and a seventy runner. Yeah, he's a big person. He has an interesting uh, it's an interesting combination of skills. Uh, Conrad Gregor in the Houston Astros system. Not um, pretty, but he's been hidden. He hits right. So and that's the sort of things that it, those are the sort of players that are going to end up outside of your, you know, top whatever for uh, you know your your forty forties and above. I believe the name of the series is my top whatever for whoever. Mm-hmm. That's good. Very specific. Or maybe whomever. I'm not sure how colloquially I want to make it. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So that was that was my example. It looks like we got to the bottom of it. For this particular one, I'll use the strictest definition of fringe, which is, didn't even appear on the organizational list. And then uh, it will be probably gravitating towards we'll, – we'll come up with something that uh, – 45 and lower or something like that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Maybe 45 and lower and, you know, maybe not in the team's top five or six because even if those guys aren't necessarily good, they'll get some attention just because they're near the top of a team's list. Of a team's list, right. Which is the – is that the sort of Devon Travis principle? I made a call on the Tigers today and their uh, system's still not super deep as far as traditional guys. But actually the interesting thing with them, which uh, I talked to Appleman and Cameron about for the top 100 and whatever we end up doing, uh, they traded away a ton of good players – to the point where if you were to add all those players back, the ones that they originally acquired, and I don't think they've, I don't think they've traded for any like real notable prospects, they'd probably be in like the middle of the, of the organizational rankings, maybe even in the top half. Right. And, and I think they're the only team that's done that. Uh, and so I feel it's, like. So it's not like necessarily a question of, are, are they having a difficult time identifying talent? It's how are, how are they using that promising talent once they have it? Yeah, and this is what and one of their guys brought it up to me, and I was saying I was kicking around the idea of in the intro for the top, you know, hundred and whatever list to say I know everyone's going to look at the well, everyone people in space are going to be reading this, <laughs> um, but they're going to look at this and be like, oh, my team is great, Kylie, thanks for saying my team is great, and pump your fist and you know kiss your wife or whatever, and or the closest human being, yeah. and then if you're like a Tigers fan or an Angels fan or A's or whoever they're you know, like in the bottom ten or whatever. You're like, oh, we only have one guy on here, and Kylie says we're terrible. Ugh, mope, mope, mope. Mm-hmm. Why don't we ever have a good system? Which, believe me, I'm not making up that reaction. That exists in, like, chats and Twitter questions and stuff. And I was saying in the intro, I was going to say, a good farm system and $4 gets you a cup of coffee. Like, this is a completely arbitrary thing that we're ranking. It's a snapshot in time of a sort of specific kind of asset. But using the Tigers as an example... They traded who would have been their top prospect, Willie Adamas, uh, along with a a probably mid-rotation starter in Drew Smiley to get David Price, who's pretty good. And they traded Jake Thompson, who is comfortably in the top 50 of all prospects, to get Joaquin Soria, along with uh, 
uh, Corey Knebel, who's in sort of the others in the top like 200. And there are a couple other trades, like they traded uh, Jonathan Crawford to get Alfredo Simone, and they traded Robbie Ray and Domingo Leba to get, uh, I forget who. Anyway, they traded a bunch of these guys. And I feel like like the, the whole reason a farm system exists is to make your big league team good. And the traditional way to think of that is like, oh, the Cubs, they signed a bunch of players, they slowly got to the big leagues, now they're there and they're going to be great. And all the way through, everyone told us how great our system is and we all feel great about it. And the other way is sort of what, you know, Brian Sabian or Kenny Williams or Dave Dombrowski does, which is draft a bunch of players, hope you do a good job, and then if you do, you can trade them to get big league players to help you because the whole reason this exists is for the team to be good, not for, you know, me or Baseball America or Kifa or whoever to say, hey, you're doing a good job, you should feel good about yourself. Like, that doesn't have to exist if the team is good at the big league level. Right. And the and the Tigers take that the most literally, and they were like, you're going to put us in the bottom five, aren't you? And I was like, you might be 30, if, but that is a reflection of how good you are at your job. But the problem is people that are not looking, you know, the more casual fan will look at that and be like, oh, our system is terrible because our scouts suck and, you know, Dabrowski's an idiot and all that kind of thing. I was like, it's actually the opposite. The Rays have had a bunch of high picks or at least a bunch of picks in the first couple rounds recently, and have done terribly, but all they do is trade for prospects. So they have a pretty solid list. If you were to just take all the players the Rays have drafted or signed originally versus the ones the Tigers have done, the Tigers are pretty clearly better than them. But for some reason, because of the sort of uh, weird cutoffs for these lists, you don't include Nick Castellanos and you don't include Drew Smiley or David Price or whoever, the, you know, the Tigers or the Brewers or whoever will be perceived a certain way, which you know, may or may not be accurate, which I feel like I need to point out, but the fact that it's going to be the introduction to a big graphic of a long list, no one's going to read it. But I feel like it needs to be said. Right. No, no, yeah, and that, and that's obviously – and I think the three teams you named, uh, the, the White Sox, the Tigers, and the Giants, uh, it's probably not a surprise that those teams are all able to carry uh, larger payrolls than, than a club like the Rays. Yeah, Exactly. That, right. That is the reason that happens in right. broad terms. They can. I mean, they can afford. They can afford to carry. I mean, that's exactly what happened in the trade between the Tigers. So, and Rays. so it's almost like being a small market team that may, and not in the Rays' case, but if you're a small market team that sort of struggles to compete every year, you you basically are automatically going to do better on these lists because you're going to be trading for prospects and picking higher in the draft, and then not trading away your prospects. And so this arbitrary ranking is going to make your fans feel better about. Their team, then they probably should. Right. I wonder. Yeah. I mean, adjusting for that sort of thing. Like, if you actually are putting together, if you were to attempt, and this would be difficult, but if you were to attempt a sort of a ranking of a team's uh, amateur scouting department, right, and adjust, uh, attempting, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, adjusting for, uh, adjusting for the amount of money they've spent in drafts, adjusting for um, the picks that they've had, certainly. I mean, you know, teams that are perennially strong, like you mentioned, the Tigers in recent years, are going to have, you know, they're going to be picking at 25 and later. And so, if you can get, if you can get people at 25 and later, I mean, if you were to, if you were to do this for, you know, for like the last five years, I think the Angels would have to be the winner, right? So because if you get Mike Mike Trout at what 23 or 24 overall, something like that, yeah, yeah then that's then. I mean, that's the winning selection, right? I mean... And if not Mike Trout, then certainly the pick before him, Randall Gritchuk. I mean, we're talking about impact talent here. Yeah, well, Gritchuk uh, got them something with with St. Louis, didn't it? Wasn't there some trade there? Yeah. No, they, for some reason, they seem to have given him away in that trade, and he's like, uh, he'll be a 45. Uh, he's, a, he's a solid Oh, dude. yeah, that was also the Peter Borges trade. 
Oh, yeah. for David Freeze. Oh, that was not smart. Oh, no. It's like you had the bad memory came back. Oh, yeah. It was oh, no, I in... remember when I was three, that kid hit me. It was coming back in pieces. Yeah, that was uh... – yeah, it did sort of seem like a throw because even Peter Burgess for David Freeze, uh, I don't know what their contract situations are like, but uh, in terms of um, actual true talent, um, Burgess might even have the, uh, the slight advantage, even with the injuries. And I believe he had more years of control and less injuries than Freeze. But yeah. yeah, that was a weird deal at the time. Um, but yeah, I, 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 and part of the reason I've mentioned in past podcasts that I wanted to do, or not that I wanted to, I'm going to do the tool grades for all the big leaguers. And then when you do the tool grades for the big leaguers, you have <clears throat> the future values, which you can then sort of convert to some sort of, you know, he's got four years of control. He's a 65. He plays this position. He's had this kind of war. You can, you can kind of figure out a way to boil that down to what it's worth. Mm-hmm. And then going as deep as I do on these lists, you can, you know, once you get a couple of years out, I mean, you could technically do it right away, but ideally you'd like to be at least a few years out to be like, Oh, this draft, their uh, expected value of, you know, what the, where their draft picks were was X. And based on, you know, where Kai's got them ranked, they're, uh, you know, a little, a little above expectations of what those picks would create as far as prospect grades would go. Whereas I think before you had those grades, you had to wait until they were a couple of years into their big league careers, or at least had, you know, gotten outrighted off the 40 man or whatever to have some sort of conclusion to what they were worth. But that's sort of the benefit of having the information a team would have, uh, which is you can evaluate stuff immediately because, you know, guys are writing reports on instructs right after the guy gets drafted. And you're like constantly getting feedback, which, uh, and which you can then use in studies and all that sort of stuff. And that's why teams can often have, you know, I remember the Yankees were, you know, said to be very happy with the, the Aaron Judge, Ian Clark, and, uh, Eric Jagaila draft class right after they took him. And it was like, how can you evaluate this class right away? It's like, well, they've got like their 15 best scouts all watching them up until the draft, right after the draft at Instructs. Like, they know what is going on right then as well as anyone's going to know. And so they can tell if they got, you know, the guys that weren't necessarily involved in the draft saw them afterwards. It's like, oh, this is pretty good value. And I'd like to think that that's, you know, one of the utilities of the comprehensive way in which I'm approaching this is you have close to that uh, amount of data, which allows you to do a little more evaluative stuff rather than just, a, well, they drafted these guys and they had these picks and they seem pretty good. Who knows? Let's throw our hands up. Like if there's a lot, there's way too much of throwing your hands up in prospect writing, I find. You think that, Sorry, is that a call for greater decisiveness? Or at least act like you know what you're doing. <laughs> Put your hands down and act like you should be here. That's that's going to be on my business card. But you know, but yeah, I, I, w- I would say there is uh, there's a lot of well, we don't know, and the team knows more than us, which obviously is true in many and most cases. But there's a way to create sort of a sliding scale and a system and uh, a, a way to approach it to where you can make some determinations and say, even if I'm a little wrong about this team, if I do this sort of analysis about how a draft went or how a five-year draft period went for 30 teams, it's going to be largely correct. And so let's, you know, not worry about the fact that there might be some little things here or there that aren't perfect. Let's, you know, look at the larger thing, which, you know, for instance, if you were to do that, say the Tigers are, oh, they're higher than you would guess based on these org rankings. And the Rays, oh, you'd be a little lower. They're they're lucky that they uh, what they do is rewarded by this drinking process. Right. Yeah. Do you, do you say at some level you you were mentioning how uh, you you feel the need to um, you feel the need to to state publicly that uh, the the organizational rankings, right, or the the system rankings are not the same thing as ranking the abilities of those. Um, 
front offices at uh, at identifying talent. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's more a function of uh, how good your big league team is and how much your payroll is, and right. then mixed in with how good you are at acquiring your mature talent. Right, and I was wondering, do, do you feel at a certain level because because um, now you've done uh, more prospect raids. This is, I think, this is your first time attempting a sort of comprehensive series of prospect lists, organizational prospect lists. Uh, do you feel as though, at a certain level, prospect writing is to the, you know, on the one hand, it's your job to learn as much as you can and relate as much as you can about prospects. But you also feel like it's you're just making a series of caveats and qualifications for each list that you produce. Yeah, when I'm sort of starting an article, like especially about like Moncada or whatever, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I want to say that you know X, Y, and Z happened, and what this means is A, B, and C. But then you're like, well, to explain how we got to X, Y, and Z, I have to give the background, and, and that's how I got to the whole timeline thing, where I basically wrote an article about all my articles about Moncada, right. and it was like two sentences of news, and then I'd like to be able to explain in one paragraph what this all means, but it'd be better if you just read everything. So here's one paragraph of each article breaking down everything. I get the same thing when I write about prospects where it's like, you know, this is where I've graded these guys out at. This is what future value means. And this is what the concept of this grading system means. And then, and then here's 8,000 words on what the system is like. It's like, well, you should know that this, you know, this is going to change throughout the season and I'll update it as we go. And like, I, I think I may skew a little too much, at least in my head, if not the writing, toward the guy who's never seen anything like this before and is stumbling upon it. And it's just sort of like, I don't really know what this means. He seems to be saying nice things about this player that I've never heard of, so I think I like him. And mm-hmm. in the video, he looks kind of like a big leaguer I know, but he's you know kind of a chubby 18-year-old, so who knows? Like, I want that guy to be able to to understand everything that I'm saying, but I realize if I were to, was to give every disclaimer and every caveat in every article that needs to be said for that guy – it's going to be excruciating to try to wait through that and read it if you have any idea what I'm actually talking about. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I understand that. Which is why I like having, like, the explanation in an article, and I can just link to the article and say, if you're totally lost, read this, and then you'll figure it out. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, but it does seem like that. Well, I mean, I, I, there's a lot there, – I guess there are a lot of qualifications to make, right? And if someone is just – you know, say someone is an Atlanta fan, and they because I think your most recent list was Atlanta. Is that right? Yeah. And they say, oh, well, I don't understand. Well, why does he have, uh, you know, Peraza at five or wherever you have Peraza? I don't know where you have Peraza. But, um, uh, yeah, or, isn't the guy that's supposed to be our opening day second baseman? Shouldn't he be one? It's like, <laughs> well, I but, have a lot of things I'd like to say to that person, but I don't know how to put them all in one place. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, you can't talk to, you can't talk to everyone. You, uh, but that's, I think that's the bigger goal of what I'm doing here is I think, I think it's sort of twofold. One is, you know, creating a very long list of rankings with tool grades and specificity so that the more uh, objective information inclined can use that for studies and to better understand what I'm trying to explain, but also to make it more accessible to the super casual fan who maybe doesn't even play fantasy, but is just like a big Yankee fan and wants to know like, oh, who's who's that guy that's number 98 in spring training? He looks kind of interesting and the announcer said he's really good. He just kind of Googles around and just like, you know, ends up landing on my 8,000 word whatever thing about the Was Yankees. It, is it Ramon Flores? Is it Ramon Flores? <laughs> no, I don't think he'd be 98, but it may be. But I'd like for that guy al- alongside the, the – Jose, Pere- Jose Perella. <laughs> no, he's not a prospect anymore. Um 
But, but I'd like, I'd like for both. No. Yeah, he was in the other. Sorry, but mm-hmm. like, I'd like both of those guys to be able to read my article along with the guy that reads everything I tweet and reads everything I write and listens to the podcast and all that. Mm-hmm. I'd like for all three of them to be able to read that, you know, ten thousand word thing about the Yankees and obviously not get the same thing out of it, but get what they're looking for. And that's obviously trying to serve a lot of masters. But like I said, I think part of that is having the sort of education process parallel to the article, but easy to find once you're there. Okay. Uh, quick question. Is Sherman Johnson going to be on your Angels list or no? He came up late in the process. He may be on the others. He may not get mentioned. Okay. All right. He's he, be is the ap- he is the absolute fringiest player in that system at this point. Okay, good. He's on my list. All right. He's he can a, be your guy then. I'm going to steal him. Oh, I'll tell uh, he will be my guy, and I'm going to write about him for Fangraphs Plus. And I, 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 when I, as soon as I set eyes on Sherman Johnson, and also Sherman Johnson's uh, statistical profile at Florida State, uh, became a big fan. And yeah, I've been fine. happy to see that he's held his own. He actually now, uh, speaking of caveats, uh, he hit a bunch of home runs last year, but it was in the Cal League. He is, yeah, he's not the biggest guy with the most power. I saw him play. He was at Florida State. Actually, I saw a super regional game when he was at Florida State against Stanford, and it was Mark Appel, Stephen Piscotti, Austin Wilson. Uh, there's a lot of dudes on that field. And he was he was the little annoying guy that kept getting on base. Right. And he does not, uh, does not appear to overmatch. The, yep. Um, Same mold as Devin Travis. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah. Both Florida State, I believe, like later around senior science, second baseman. Oh, that's oh. I think Johnson played third base at FSU though. Maybe. Oh, okay, yeah, infield yeah. or whatever. Um, uh, with regard to the Mankata situation, and I don't know if you addressed this with Lindbergh and Miller yesterday, uh, but an interesting point that you that you brought up that had not occurred to me was the effect of, for whatever club signs Mankata, the effect that that will have on that same club's. Uh, July 2nd commitments, right? So as you've yes. noted multiple times, um, as you noted m- multiple times, teams are not just like on July 2nd. It's not like the first time they're, they're making like contact with Like for players. the first time, like, hey, does he want to play for hey, us? Hey, is he good? Uh, this guy looks pretty good. Would he take American greenbacks to play baseball for our organization? Right. So there, there are agreements in place months ahead of time, as you said. And uh, But if you're signing Yon Mankata, then – so any team that signs them now, what is going to have a huge penalty after July second? Can't sign anybody over three hundred thousand for two straight years, and presume eight percent of the verbal deals in place right now are for over three hundred thousand. So okay. if somebody that wasn't expecting to sign him and had verbal deals in place for next July two uh, signs Moncada, then they have to renege on those agreements. Right, and that and, and you mentioned that this could have uh, there could be sort of. Um, uh, this could be bad in terms of their ability to appeal to young Dominican players in particular. But the sort of caveat for that is Moncada is better than all of those guys will be even three years of them all rolled together. <laughs> and presumably if they go sign Moncada now, they'll pay a penalty for the next two years. And then in the third year, there will be a new CBA, which will probably include an international draft, which means you don't care what those agents say because they will be a non-factor with hard slotting in the draft. So you'll get a bad reputation, but it may have zero effect on what's going on. There's really going to be an international draft by then? I would put it well over 50%. Uh, the, the, owners, the owners in MLB want it to happen, and they are the people that figure this out, and the only people stopping them are the Players Association. And if you wave the shiny object of you know more broad Super 2 and a higher minimum salary, they will sell out those Dominican kids immediately. Hmm. 
I talked to a guy about that today, and I said almost that exact sentence, and he goes, yeah, no, absolutely. It'll take an hour. <laughs> now, everyone thinks it's a bad idea, and most people think it's not going to work for various reasons, but I think MLB is – they're like the stubborn rich kid. Like, they have to screw up and be embarrassed and see that it's a problem and then circle back and find a solution. They're not going to be told not to do this. What's going to what's gonna be the problem with it when it if, if it is installed? The key thing with international draft is you have to get everyone included because if you have, say, Cuba and Venezuela and Mexico and Japan who all said, we're not going to be subject to a draft, we don't want our 18-year-olds being picked over uh, by Americans, then what if they're not subject to the draft and then some 18-year-old at a high school in Japan says, all right, I, I want to sign, and you just give them whatever you want and it turns into another Moncada situation. That's what they're trying to stop happening. Like they say, and Dave's written about this too, the teams and the executives and the owners say – drafts or distribute talent, which is a secondary benefit because the clear number one objective, which people will admit off the record, is to keep spending down because the owners would like their money to go to players that they get to watch play that make them money immediately, and the union would like the money to go to those players because they're the ones who are in the union and who give the union guys their jobs, and the amateur players aren't even in the union and you know may never actually get into it uh, in any meaningful way. Um, so, of course all the money gets sort of funneled that way and the union and the owners and everyone involved want the money to funnel from amateur players to big league players. So that's why it keeps happening. I forgot what your question was, but that that's why the right, controls, yeah, yeah, was, the controls to keep amateur spending down are going to keep being implemented even if like natural inflation stuff has them rising. The, the sort of sanctions in place are going to keep being thrown in front of it to try to keep it under control. Because oh, it's, really, so, it's really – well, there's no one really um... – there's no they don't have a voice in the negotiation. Right, yeah. And, oh, and so the, the last part of the of the international draft is either the government of Venezuela, the baseball governments of Mexico or Japan, the government of Cuba, like there's going to be something that is not included in the draft that should be to, you know, encompass everyone. And once something gets left out, it undermines the usefulness of the draft and creates sort of an exception, which is exactly what Moncada is right now, which is the thing they're trying to get away from this draft to sort of round up everybody and put them into a pen and say, you know, that you're no, no, no one in this pen is going to get over $5 million or whatever. And then some guy outside the pen gets 50 million, then it like undermines the entire thing. And that's the thing they're trying to keep under control. Right. Uh, now are, are the recent sort of, uh, is the recent softening or this, the United States softening stance towards Cuba? Is that helping? Do you think to facilitate the, the possibility of this draft? It would help. I I still find it hard to believe they would get both Cuba and Venezuela on board with this, uh, but they've still got another couple years to sort of round all that up. So, I mean, things are things are obviously moving in the right direction with Cuba. Uh, but also, if you're the Cuban government, you're like, all right, well, if we're going to completely open our borders and let Carson and Kylie come down for a vacation and sit on the beach and, you know, take some rum and cigars home with them and, you know, the whole thing – and we're going to let all of our players leave whenever they want to and make it legal and all that. We don't mind being subject to a draft, but we want to get paid. Like we're we're making it very easy for you to sort of rape and pillage our number one export. We're going to need to be uh paid for this. So, I I don't know how that works. I I could see, you know, Cuban players 18 and under going into a draft and it kind of going the standard way and then Cuban players, you know, 22 and older or whatever, uh or I guess it would have to be 19 and over to encompass everybody, but 
uh, you know, sort of the Rosny Castillo, Tanaka, like those, that sort of talent that gets that kind of money, there could be a separate process for that. And those are the guys that are getting that level of money are the, uh, <coughs> those guys getting that kind of money are the ones that, you know, getting 10% of, you know, whatever the player gets would be notable for the country. Whereas getting 10% of the 10th overall pick who gets $2 million wouldn't be that notable. So that, that's sort of the sticking point is how you separate the two classes of players. And, but also integrate them into the current process. And then also the government would presumably want some sort of cut. There's just like the Japanese baseball teams uh, on the players. So that's sort of the problem, but they need to sort of get the, the political stuff in line before they can have that conversation. Okay. Um, uh, one last question. The winter league, uh, the, sorry, the Caribbean series is currently, uh, is currently underway. Uh, I'm wondering if that has any appeal to you at all, or if if it does, if, if there are certain teams that uh, merit watching. I typically don't really pay attention to it. Um, I know the Cuban team is there, and they have some of their better players. And well, more. they have Despan Despanya. Yeah, and the uh, they had two guys. De fact, one of them is a kind of notable 19-year-old pitcher, uh, Gutierrez, mm-hmm. who. Well, may have made the mistake of defecting in a uh, in Puerto Rico, which is where they're playing, which is part of the U.S. And so he'd be eligible for the draft if he gets residency there. And so I think I think I read he's trying to get asylum there so that he can then go to a third place, uh-huh. so that he could then get residency there, so that he could then be a free agent as opposed to subject to the draft. So I don't know. I guess defecting is you, you defect when you can. That's what they say, Carson. You Wait, it just happened. It just happened. Yeah, was, he like pitched on one day and was like gone the next day, but still on the island somehow. But yeah. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. thrilling. I, I don't, it's not. It's just, I'm sure it's not fun for him. So yeah, their their bullpen is a little weaker because a player left the country. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. It's, right, again, team, terrible still, and but... fascinating. Well, but, I, uh, I, just, I just happened to. Um... So it's, it's interesting for the defecting and the fact that the Cubans are playing and all that, but I, I typically don't pay a super close attention to the Cubans unless it's a Moncada-type guy or he's already left the country, and I sort of need to pay attention to him. I've got sort of bigger fish to fry. Right. Um, well, I'll let you get to dinner then. It sounds like that's what you need to do. I've but... got a giant slab of tilapia over there that's just mm-hmm. begging to be fried. You know what? You ever have this mahi-mahi? Oh, yeah. Before I, I'm, I'm a bit of a marketing expert. Before uh, – before I got a hold of mahi mahi, it was just mahi. Oh, smart. Yeah. It's and also. I will say my my dad taught me this. Uh, before he got a hold of them, they were just Duran. <laughs> there was uh, there was a. It's you know it's uh, it's called dolphin fish as well. Yes. Which is uh, I remember the first time I was in Jupiter, Florida, with my grandfather. He said, "Yeah, they got dolphin on the menu." So what? He said it's not dolphin. It's it's dolphin fish. I said, well, it's why can't dolphin you, adjacent. Yeah. You can't come up with one other name besides dolphin, a thing we're not supposed to eat. But there's one called a Jewfish, which people now don't call it anymore. So I guess they did run out of names. Oh yeah, that's wow. There's borderline racial slurs to describe fish now. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think. Well, oh, I, sh- I, sh- I should say I mentioned this in the chat today. Uh, I'm going to the Dominican on Sunday. Oh, very exciting. Yes, we got uh, Monday and Tuesday. We got the MLB showcase, and I was going to mention this, but you're kind of on a roll, so I I, I kept it in my back pocket. Uh, there's two teams. They used to do like a red team and a blue team, oh. uh, and M- MLB kind of you know brings everybody together. So Venezuela, Colombia, like all all the places where the players are from. And there's a pitcher from Mexico this year. I don't know if he'll be there, but I've seen him before. Um, I'm told there. I was talking to a guy this morning, and he was like, "Yeah, there's me. You know, like 50 guys there." He's like, 
I would estimate 30 of them have deals already. <laughs> oh, well, that's a good showcase. Yeah, which uh, last year, like, almost all the top 10 guys already had deals at that point, and, like, six of them didn't show up. And so, like, Adrian Rondone and a handful of other guys weren't even there, and some of them just showed up to hit BP and then didn't stay for the game. So it was a little... I was a little peeved that I was going through this whole process to see all these players, and I stayed down there for a week and went to all these showcases, and, like, six out of the ten guys I really wanted to see didn't even play. Um, but I was like, oh, our guys aren't going to show up? They're like, no, they've kind of been instructed you need to show up. Let's act like everyone doesn't have verbal deals because the short version is MLB has put all these rules in place so that nobody gets a deal done until, like, January 1st, which is sort of when they would like the July 2 season to open, and then, you know, MLB holds a big showcase, and all the gringos from America come down and see the players, and that should be when, you know, the bidding is open and things like that, even though it's technically offering them any money before July 2 is illegal, which, come on, who are we getting? But, uh, but yeah, so luckily for me, it sounds like everyone's going to be there, and it's from all different countries, and then I was going to leave on Wednesday, but I was told, get a late flight Wednesday. There's some people working on putting something together Wednesday morning, and the uh, IPL, uh, the, the competing league with the DPL, which I saw the DPL players in Fort Lauderdale back in October. Uh, the IPL is putting on an event Wednesday morning, and they're going to have Hector Oliveira and a couple other Cuban guys come Well, play. hello. So the other league I didn't get to see, I'm going to get to see them and uh, and some high-level Cuban guys. And today Oliveira worked out and hit a couple home runs and uh, is catching some heat here. I mean, this guy could get some money. I, uh, I said if his sort of medical checks out and he continues to work out well, we're looking like 20 to 40 million could be in the big leagues and, you know, April or May as a second baseman, everyday type guy. And so, he's, an, he's an older prospect, right? He is 29, will be 30, I think, in April. So he's okay. uh, you're, you're getting the down years for him, but he's uh, he has a long track record of performing. And in sort of broad terms, it's like a 50 or better bat and power and can play second and third. So it's it's some pretty legitimate tools. Yeah, sounds like a... sounds like he could become a Sherman Johnson if he's really <laughs> stuck. His, if he's lucky, yeah. Stuck around. But yeah, so I got Monday, Tuesday, I got a workout day, and then the game day for the MLB thing, and then you get that thing Wednesday, and then I'm out Wednesday night. So it'll be very, very efficient in and out. Yeah. And somebody in the chat asked me what it, he said, I imagine, something to the effect of, I imagine your, your non-baseball activities in the Dominican include some, uh, rum-based shenanigans. And I said, that is true. I cannot tell these stories in the chat, but if you're lucky, I'll tell some of the podcast next week. Oh yeah, well I will say that. Yeah, well I would like to hear them. I was recently, uh, my wife and I were visiting uh, Traverse City, Michigan, which is not very far from. Sorry, who? No, no, <laughs> Kylie, my wife. I'm not going to say it in a weird way. You want me to say it? So you're in Traverse. City, Do you want to say it? Do you want to say it? No, I, I've. I'm not that guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think you might be that guy. Uh, go, th- go ahead, Carson. We were in Traverse City, and there's a there's a nice uh, French restaurant there. However, it is owned um, uh, not by a mainland Frenchman, but a, uh, a, a resident, a citizen, former native of Guadeloupe, who uh, per- Guadeloupe is it? I believe so. Okay, uh, Guadeloupe or Guadeloupe? Guadeloupe. I have one vote for Guadeloupe here. Just Looks saying, like I got a beef with your wife. Yeah, I'm just saying she's a fluent French speaker. So if you wanna, oh, I thought you were saying Mexico. No, I'm talking about Guadalupe, the island. Oh, okay, yeah, then I'll, I'll defer to you. Yeah, I thought you were talking Spanish. No, we're talking French. That's why okay. this guy, he's from. He, no, no, you're right. He started a French restaurant coming from Guadalupe, Mexico. He said, "There's nothing I want better than go to Michigan to start." It's his. a real Mexican-French fusion. <laughs> no, he's from the, the island of Guadalupe, which is part of the uh, 
which is uh, essentially governed by France. But um, so it's it's very traditional French cuisine, except for on the dessert list there is are, there's an array of drinks, and many of them are rum, rum based and actually rum itself. And there's some nice rums, and I had never really done any work with rums, and I'm happy that I did do work with rums because it was delicious. Did it uh, is is rum soaked Carson close to sangria Carson? What's Sangria Carson? I forget. Did we talk? Oh, oh, Sangria Carson. Yes, from down in Phoenix. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, for people who do not know. Um, Which would be everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, you and I, had, we shared. Except a, anyone within a one-mile radius of us that night. <laughs> well, we shared a couple of meals together, and one of them involved a, uh, just a beautiful pitcher. Two pitchers, I think, actually, of Sangria. You're forgetting there are actually two other humans there also. But there I were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it, the the oh I lo- oh I love sangria. Yeah, what a great beverage. And it's if I'm not mistaken, uh, you and I and both of those other two humans are going to be in the same metropolitan area. Oh in yeah, yeah. So well, let's let's get some sangria into us. I will. I probably enjoy sangria more than rum because I like the the pace at which you can drink it. Um, <laughs> your rum, case was frighteningly fast. Yeah, it was deli- I so delicious. It's so delicious, and I never hangover, so I it was uh, good all around. Yeah. Yeah, it's more it's more of a hang under. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I I think Ben Lindbergh's rubbing off on me. Between him and Jonah, like Grantland's got the corniest joke tellers of all time yeah. and I'm giving them a run for their money, but I don't think I want to. No, don't do that. Don't run at all. Try to stop running. All right, we're done here. Uh but listen, it was uh Kyla McDaniel, it was a real pr- a real privilege for me. I'm the lead prospect analyst for fangraphs.com. That's uh Kyla McDaniel, lead prospect analyst. Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.